0: It will be another 10 months before the first votes are cast in the 2020 Democratic presidential primaries, but the 17 candidates who have entered the race so far are already out on the trail in search of support. Education has hardly been central to the race so far, but neither has it been entirely absent. Elizabeth Warren has announced a detailed plan for universal childcare. various candidates have called for some form of free college, and just last week Kamala Harris made headlines with an ambitious and expensive plan to raise teacher pay. I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is the journal's managing editor, Ira Stoll. In addition to keeping the publication running, Ira's been doing some old-fashioned shoe leather reporting on the campaign trail in New Hampshire, traditional home of the first Democratic primary. You can find his latest dispatch entitled, Teacher Pay Emerges as Democratic Primary Issue, on the journal's website at educationnext.org. Ira, welcome to the EdNext podcast. Happy to be here. And I should actually start out by welcoming you publicly to the journal. It's about four months into your tenure. It's been uh, great having you. Thank you. So as I said, you've been up in New Hampshire, checking in on the early stages of the campaign. Uh, Where have you been and how, if at all, has education been part of the conversation so far? Well, my first trip
1: was... uh... A couple months ago uh, to Dover, New Hampshire, where I was with Elizabeth Warren, uh, the senator from Massachusetts, on the day that she actually kicked off her presidential campaign with a big event um, up in, in Lowell, I think it was. Uh, and then she, she went from northern Massachusetts up into New Hampshire for, for an event where she got a question from a public school teacher and then uh last week or or the week before i was with beto o'rourke and he actually went to all 10 counties in in new hampshire and i spent a day with him in portsmouth and then manchester and then laconia up in the lakes uh region and uh um, he was driving his own minivan around, and I was driving my own car around, and uh, we, we managed to keep up with each other.
0: And so what exactly was the question posed to Elizabeth Warren by a public school teacher up in New Hampshire, and how did she respond? Well, the teacher
1: was hostile to charter schools and asked, you know, what are you going to do about these charter schools taking all the money away from public schools? And Warren answered that not by debating with the questioner and pointing out that charter schools actually are public schools, um, and, and also that a lot of them actually do a pretty good job of educating students and maybe even improving the traditional public schools that they coexist with, but thanking the the voter for the question and referring to her own background as having been a public school teacher before she became a, 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 a law professor. You know, I guess that's the role of a candidate is to try to win the support of these voters rather than arguing with them on the definition of what's a public school. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if Warren, as the campaign goes on, Get some questions from uh, charter school parents or charter school teachers uh, asking a question from their point of view. Uh, if she also handles that in a way where she tries to connect with the questioner and and um, stress her support. Uh, Warren also talked about increasing spending on on public education. Uh, she had said earlier in the event in answer to a question about. veterans health care like we need to stop doing trying to do more with less sometimes we need to do more with more and um, you know I think that's a little bit the spirit of this democratic primary field so far is everyone's making a lot of promises and a little bit that's campaigning overall and uh, people make extravagant promises and then once they get in office they're faced with having a pay for it. Or once again, in a general election campaign, they're faced with uh, accusations of being a tax and spender. That's that's not so much the case in the Democratic primary field.
0: It's been interesting to see Elizabeth Warren's position on school choice and charter schools evolve over the course of her career. Famously, she wrote quite sympathetically about school voucher proposals in a book when she was a law professor here at Harvard. in the midst of the debate over the charter school cap in uh question two here in her home state of massachusetts though she came out against that cap lift uh suggesting that she's skeptical at least of a very expansive proposals to uh expand school choice and she's of course distanced herself from her earlier writings about about school vouchers so let's turn to uh to beto now uh I, as i understand it you know he was talking a lot about the plight of teachers in his home state of Texas, uh, what they have to spend on supplies in the lake. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's been reported
1: that that he had a meeting with the president of the American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten, and he was talking about how teachers in his home state of Texas spend an average of $800, I think, out of their own pockets for, for school supplies. And that information. There's a tax deduction for for teachers to take. And so there's data on that good government data. And even that tax deduction was a bit of a battleground early on during the Trump tax reform discussions. Uh, It got left. It got left in after a huge uh, protest arose that even, you know, the vague talk about potentially uh, cutting it back um and you know he, he he talks quite movingly actually about how these teachers aren't just paying for decorations in the classrooms or school supplies but paying for a dinner for a kid who's getting a subsidized or free school breakfast and lunch but may not have a good meal when he goes home for dinner Talking about teachers paying for clothing for kids who show up to school in the same clothes every day. Um, I should joke about my my own my own uh, school aged child who uh, has a closet full of clothes, but just has a pair of clothes that he likes to wear the same uh, same clothing every every day. But but you know these these are really moving stories, and and there's no reason to to doubt that there. Are that they're true. So they they tug at your heartstrings, and he told them over and over again in,
0: in almost every place he stopped in New Hampshire. And that conversation then takes us towards Kamala Harris's big proposal. She grounded her argument for a federal effort to raise teacher pay in research from the Economic Policy Institute, I believe, showing an on average $13,000 pay gap between teachers and other college-educated workers. I haven't delved into the specifics of that number, but it's consistent with lots of research suggesting that, especially over the past couple of decades, teacher pay has not kept pace with increases for other college graduates. What did you make of Kamala Harris's big announcement? Well, I think that the fact that she's talking
1: about it and these other candidates are too, points to the influence of the teachers' unions in the Democratic primary, and, and not just the unions, but the teachers themselves as, as, as voters. Um, they, a lot of them are, are Democrats, not all of them, but a lot of them, and, and there's some survey research which suggests that uh, more than 10% of the Democratic National Convention delegates are actually teachers' union members, so um, the endorsement of those teachers' unions is valuable in the campaign. And you know they have not just political action committees, which make campaign contributions, which a lot of these candidates have already disavowed taking, but they have a a, a ground uh, network of. Activists and I actually remember during the New Hampshire primary in 2016, uh, union teachers from Boston going up the, you know, in the weekend before the primary and even on election day uh, to help get out the vote for Hillary. And some of them even coming as from as far as New York, union union teachers
0: uh, on election day trying to get out the vote for for Hillary. And so some of what we see from Kamala Harris and other candidates is likely about seeking the endorsement of the AFT or the NEA. And Randy Weingarten, I recall in 2016, president of the AFT, got a bit of pushback from the liberal faction within her union for jumping on board very early with Hillary Clinton as the preferred Democratic nominee. She appears to be taking a somewhat different stance this time and has articulated a quite involved process by which the AFT is going to make its decision about who to support, it seems like a lot of candidates are trying to position themselves to be that choice.
1: Right, and that's, that choice is a good thing to be if you're, if you're a Democratic presidential candidate. Um, there's, there's two interesting things, I think, to say about that. Um, One is just to remark on the asymmetry of it, where the teachers are very well organized and have a politically powerful advocacy group. The parents and the school children don't have that uh, level of organization or advocacy group, even though uh, just numerically there are more of them. And, you know, there have been some efforts to organize things like that, and with some success. And even donors, reform-minded education, charter school funders have tried to get organized and involved to some degree. But those efforts are really dwarfed by the power of the teachers' unions. And and that's something that that sways what these candidates are, are saying and doing. Not that the students and the parents might not also, you know, be in favor of higher pay for teachers, but that may not be their number one issue or they may want some um, some accountability or some some way within higher teacher pay to pay teachers with higher demand skills more. The other point that's worth making in connection with uh, particularly the union role in in teacher pay is that, um, you know, all of these candidates and and increasingly so have their devoted partisans. So even over the past few days, we've seen this story break about about Vice President Biden's uh, behavior with a with a lieutenant governor candidate and uh President Weingarten had a couple of tweets about that, uh, one pointing out that maybe the person making the accusation had been a Bernie Sanders supporter. She got jumped on on, on Twitter by like 80 Bernie Sanders supporters uh, you know and and supporters of other candidates uh, you know, upset that she had she had, made this tweet about biden so i think people are watching closely what she's what she's doing in this presidential campaign and some people are going to be upset no you know no
0: matter what she does another interesting aspect of the current situation in the democratic primary is that we're appear to be at the sort of tail end of a stretch where there's been a real rift within the democratic party coalition between the unions traditionally strongly aligned with the Democratic Party, and uh, some including President Obama and members of his administration, which really embraced a set of reforms, including uh, charter schools and performance-based compensation that have long been associated more with the reform movement rather than sort of their union opponents. Um, What I found interesting about Kamala Harris's proposal uh, it was clearly meant to be attractive to the unions. It also, though, she seems to have threaded the needle and immediately won support from uh, Arnie Duncan, for example, the former secretary of education under Obama. So it seems that it, at this point, Kamala Harris and presumably the other candidates are trying to sort of unite Democrats who are interested in education rather than to sort of continue this rift.
1: Right. So. There's a few other candidates who we haven't mentioned yet who are more closely identified with that reform wing. And those would include Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, a former mayor of Newark, who um, I remember back when he was a a Newark City councilman, um, people in the Bloomberg administration's education department organizing fundraisers in their apartments for, for Cory Booker's mayoral campaign. Um, and so he's got a long history with the education reform crowd going back dec- you know 20 years almost. Uh, and then uh, there's this whole uh, group of people from Colorado, which has been a state that's been very friendly to education reform. Former governor of Colorado, John Hickenlooper, and a senator, U.S. senator from Colorado, Michael Bennett, who uh, has made a trip to Iowa and I, I think is at least 50-50 about getting in the race. So, if those guys get in, we may see them getting attacked uh, for their past positions on education reform, and it'll be interesting to see if they attempt that same move as Senator Harris, of Trying to uh, find a way to bridge that divide, or if instead um, anyone is brave enough to kind of take on these uh, the the teachers unions and try to distinguish themselves in this field uh, as standing up to special interests, now that that would be a risky, uh, you know, high risk but potentially high reward. Approach, and you know, I I think I think we'll see this. Um, I think we'll see this as the campaign goes on. Not just K through twelve, but differences on higher education policy. Um, there are going to be attempts to to distinguish as a as a way of um, in such
0: a large field as, as just as a
1: way of getting attention.
0: So we could talk about the practicalities of exactly how Kamala Harris proposes to use federal spending to increase state pay. Uh, She is talking about leveraging sort of federal dollars to encourage states to spend more with a three to one match until the gap that exists within their state is closed. I think there's some questions about how you would then sort of oversee what states do with teacher salaries going forward from that point. Um, But we've been talking about politics and let's stay on the political side. Uh, how do you think this idea or others like it would play in a general election campaign? One of the tensions all candidates face is, you know, they're running right now seeking support among the Democratic base, but they also want to emerge as a viable candidate in the general election as well. Uh, So how would this shake out? Right. So I kind of end this Education
1: Next article with a reference to the nineteen sixty debate between then-Senator John F. Kennedy and Vice President Richard Nixon, and they both claim to be for teacher pay, for higher teacher pay, And, and, and I point out that while teacher pay has come up a bit since then, it's not because of any grand federal direct intervention, although federal higher education, federal education funding has increased since 1960. Um, And the problem hasn't been solved, at least from the point of view of the teachers. So uh, I it that people are still talking about it, suggests there is some political appeal to the issue. But I think if it was such a slam dunk, open and shut case, it would have happened, it would have been solved already. Uh, The the hard thing about it is that when you get to something so expensive, you're basically asking non-teacher taxpayers to give raises to teachers. And it's not that big a secret. I mean, people see the cars parked in the teachers' parking lots. They see what the teachers are doing in the summers. They see the teachers getting vacations or retiring. And these— Pays while their national averages, y- you can make a case are low. In some areas, they're they're much higher. I mean, teachers teachers in wealthy suburbs or in um, in some of the cities, teachers in New York top out at more than a hundred thousand dollars a year for a job where you've got good health insurance, good pension plans, and summers off. So a lot of middle class taxpayers say, hey, you know, my wages are pretty stagnant, too. Um, I'm not sure that I should get a tax increase to give the teacher a raise when I don't have summers off or I don't have those good health and pension benefits. So. I think the politics of it start to get tricky, which may be why Senator Harris, while she has put out a fairly detailed plan, has has said she's going to pay for it by an increase in the estate tax, which most middle class taxpayers don't really think they're going to have to worry about um, and probably don't the the detailed math on that is is still forthcoming and you know i think some voters are skeptical when when democratic politicians promise to raise taxes only on the rich they don't necessarily buy that and they think their taxes are going to go up somehow as well
0: at the same time, we have had this wave of labor activism in the teaching sector, uh, starting with the strikes in Oklahoma, West Virginia, Arizona last year, continuing on into Los Angeles, Denver, Oakland this year. And, you know, at least the polling data that we've done suggests that teachers have been able to make a case to the American public in those states and more broadly that, it is time for a, a pay increase and so uh, perhaps there is a moment here where this issue could be given broader appeal uh, and I guess we'll have to wait and see we will I mean that there was a very
1: compelling uh, I think it was like a two page spread in the New York Times after one of these teachers strikes with pictures of the teachers and how much they earned and yeah I mean you see some, some First year teacher in West Virginia earning twenty three thousand dollars a year and and and, you know, paying for school supplies out of that. And 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 it's compelling. It's compelling. It's a compelling political issue to make a case um, out of out of those examples. So
0: I think that's one reason that the candidates are talking about it. My guest today has been Ira Stoll, Managing Editor of Education Next. You can find a sampling of his writing, including the piece that was the focus of our conversation today, at educationnext.org. Ira, thanks for being part of the podcast.
1: My pleasure.
0: You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. While you're there, be sure to check out our archive and especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.